Hi everybody and, and welcome to the latest episode of Collectively Speaking. So this is a podcast series where we interview interesting people who are very often are our, our members of the LDN Collective, but also clients and collaborators. For those of you who don't know, the LDN Collective is a group of multidisciplinary experts working within the built environment who have particular areas of expertise but understand the benefits of coming together and collaborating in a, a sort of bottom-up way, as it were. The big focus for our members and why we've come together in the first place is to focus on um, the social impact and environmental impact of what we do. And that is very much uh, the sort of core values that bring us together. I'm delighted to have with us today Natasha Reed, who is our member of the LDN Collective that really focuses on issues around quality of life and social impact. Her consultancy, Matters Space Soul, is really seen as a leader in this area. So I'm delighted to have her as a member of the LDN Collective and looking forward to hearing more about what you do, Natasha. Could you tell us just a bit about yourself and Matter Space Soul? Yeah, of course, Max. So Matter Space Soul is a design and research consultancy and we're focused on shaping places for health, well-being and social impact. And the name itself tells you a bit about the mission and why I started it, which is to make places that matter and spaces of soul. Because the built environment really does matter. It matters to people's lives, to their health, to how we come together as communities. And as you're saying, people are now becoming more and more aware of it. I think particularly since the pandemic, that's really changed for me. Um, when I started in this area, this was about 10 years ago, and what I was doing was, was sort of seen as quite a fringe, perhaps, quite niche. Um, but in the last few years, particularly now, it's become really core to what people are talking about and also now what, what the industry is looking for in terms of place shaping. Um, so it can be everything from how places make people feel, um, whether that's in terms of physical or mental health, um, but also things a little bit less direct. So how people connect um, and social interaction between different groups and also things like how you can create a sense of belonging uh, in place, which all these things are quite hard to measure. Um, but what I've been working on over the last 10 years is really trying to find ways to bring that into the way that places are being shaped. So looking at that really kind of... Um, sort of non-physical aspects the more human experience aspects of places uh, and we've seen now there's there's more and more evidence about uh, and research about that so it's about bringing that research now into how those places are being made well wow, that's, that's really really interesting i'm quite keen to know a bit more about your background and how you got into this particular area how, how did you first get into it and what, what got you more interested in the sort of human side of the built environment I suppose it's it's always been part of my interest. My background is architecture and urban design. So I took the, the very, uh, I suppose, traditional route. So I studied architecture at Cambridge and then I worked for really great practices in London. Um, and everything was sort of as it should be, <laughs> what I should be doing, great projects, great colleagues, great directors. Um, but I felt like there was always something else that I needed to follow and look at more deeply. And it was that that human impact of places. And I looked particularly at the 
emotional and social and psychological side. Yeah, it was about 10 years ago that I decided to start working independently. And um, unusually, actually, I my first commission was as an artist, uh, a socially engaged artist. And it was a project of mine um, that had started as part of my postgraduate studies and a concept called an embassy for refugees. And I'd come back to this idea a couple of years later down the line. I started doing exhibitions about it. And then I was commissioned to create a sort of concept embassy for refugees as the center point of a refugee week on the South Bank um, for a festival called Celebrating Sanctuary. And the idea was that with this project is to create a space of sanctuary for people, but also to represent people that are very much marginalized from cities and to give a piece of prime sort of public space in central London to people that are often kind of um, at the edges of society. So that was quite a radical shift from what I'd been doing. I'd been doing lots of big residential projects, award-winning housing and public spaces to then do this really tiny, tiny project. But I'd worked with refugee children to do workshops, um, kind of getting them to make uh, secret dens and explore the idea of what sanctuary means to them. And then I translated that into a, a quite sculptural sort of pavilion type space. Uh, and from that point, uh, it sort of started a whole journey of thinking about how places impact people in a whole different range of ways. So that was the more humanitarian side. But then since then, I've also um, sort of worked with environmental psychologists who go really deeply into how places affect your mind, um, how you feel, behaviours, to so also neuroscientists who are looking at it from the point of view of your brain and how that works. Even to sort of, it can look at things like stress, but also your ability sort of cognitively, creativity, and also how people get attached to places or find their way around places that can all be looked at in terms of your brain. So I found all this kind of research and work that's going on uh, even feels like anthropology, <laughs> how people come together. And it, it really struck me that, you know, there's so much here that's already being looked at, but the way that places are being shaped around us don't bring any of that in at all. Well, that's fascinating. And that's something that really interests me too, is that sort of cross-disciplinary nature of what, what we do. But that isn't really represented properly in when we go about projects essentially because often there's a real focus on um, budgets and finances early on in projects and for that reason people think you only need the the absolutely essential people in the room and very often to begin with they might be um, people who are looking at the sort of economics or the planning um, policy side of things but not the outcomes of what you're going to be doing early on. And I think that is changing and, and it's great that we're managing to sort of make that happen with some of the projects we're working on. But you can also make a very good argument for creating economic value if you do think about these things early on. And I'm really interested that you're saying that um, you started off with this embassy for refugees. There's a sort of movement at the moment that I think is starting to take shape and it's that sort of intersection between health and urban planning which I think is often overlooked or the two sectors don't really talk to each other um, but there is 
this idea that inclusive health needs to include people that are disenfranchised, whether that's sort of refugees or or, or prisoners or or homeless people. And it's if you focus on these more extreme situations and find solutions, very often they're more easily transferable to more mainstream projects. So I think that I absolutely applaud you for you know, having that light bulb moment and making that transition into an area that was, I suppose some would say, quite a risky thing to do. So tell us a bit more about since you set up Matterspace Soul. Uh, I know you've been working on some really interesting projects where you're creating uh, frameworks for the quality of places so that this can be done in a bit more of a scientific way, if you like. And I know you've done that for some local authorities and we're now talking to working with developers about that and and more recently we led on the stakeholder engagement for the city of london which was fantastic so can you tell us a bit about that uh place quality framework and projects that, that you've been doing that way you've been trying to put that into practice yeah so the the place quality framework is essentially bringing together all the the research and the projects I've been doing over the last 10 years or so, um, looking at how people experience places and how to create those people-focused outcomes um, through design. I've developed that um, before as a, a sort of methodology for design, but then I brought that into uh, application for local government as the first step. Um, so... It's now part of a local authority's uh, planning requirements in London. So it's the first in its kind, really, to now require developments to actually demonstrate their benefit for people's quality of life as part of planning permission requirements. It's sort of part of design tool, part sort of planning practices and and systems and assessments. Um, But it sets out across three different dimensions how to make places that are basically good for people. Right. Um, and that's across health and well-being, community and belonging, and then vibrant and inclusive places. And then within that, there's a whole set of criteria and design considerations um, to firstly to help um, either designers or uh, decision makers understand the different impacts that the built environment has uh, and put that into the design. Um, and then that will be used as new benchmarks for success uh, to then assess developments um, and that's covering everything from master plans uh, external spaces internal spaces all the way down to like details of say corridors <laughs> so it's really covering a really broad yeah. range and public space as well because it's the first in its kind also trying to get that academically evaluated to see the impact on health and the way that that's been shaped is that it's to address health inequalities. So going back to the that side of, you know, um, the people that are the most disadvantaged, how can it help? Uh, the idea is that areas that have more deprivation or lack of open space, there'll be higher expectations on that new development to deliver on quality of life. So there's a kind of system in there to actually make it proportionate to people's needs. That's really interesting. And um I think the local authority you've been working with is is Brent. Is that yeah, right? Brent yeah. Council. Uh, which is good to hear because I live on the border of Westminster and Brent. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's always good when somebody or, or an organisation takes the initiative on these things, um, particularly in the public sector where they're often 
quite risk averse and looking to others to have done something first. So what what do you think it was about Brent that that meant that it was the right conditions for them to think innovatively about these things? I think it generally the culture has uh, been really forward thinking and progressive, and the borough has like much of London, there's areas of deprivation and as alongside affluence, but it was one of the most hardest hit in the pandemic. Um, so I think there was a, a recognition that some things needed to be looked at and changed. And I I came along and um, really just set out the evidence that is already out there in terms of health inequalities, um, work that people like Sir Michael Marmot has done um, about uh, social determinants of health so it's not really that new it's mm. things that have been looked at in public health for quite a long time but in terms of urban design and planning it's it hasn't really reached the wider <laughs> kind of industry so I was yeah. just there essentially bringing that knowledge yeah um, do you think other local authorities will follow suit and are watching what they're doing or I hope so so <laughs> I did a a talk for Homes England. It was as part of their summer learning session for local authorities on health and design and sharing this framework as a case study. And a thousand people signed up. <laughs> so that was a sold thousand out. people. Yeah, so it was sold out. And on the day, I think about nearly 600 were on the call. Oh, wow. All local authorities. So I think there's really big interest. Yeah. Um, and a few local authorities have been in touch as well initially. So I think it's something that can be shared and, and spread and hopefully the the approach kind of grows over time. Yeah, fantastic. I know that within the LDN Collective, you work very closely with Leanne Hartley of MEND and previously the founder of Considerate Urbanism. And it's a fantastic partnership that I've seen in action when, when we worked on the City of London to help them develop their uh, local plan, the 2040 plan. So can you just tell me a bit about that relationship and and how you work together and also a bit about what what you think in terms of the future and where where things are going and some things that you're up to at the moment that um that you are interested in yeah so i met leanne um probably about a year and a half ago um and she's been doing really amazing work in terms of social value um she also speaks a lot at conferences sort of with similar themes to to what I talk about so we both talk about empathy in urban situations about the importance of emotion and how people feel about care and and compassion and those sorts of values so even though uh, my background is more design and Leanne is more social value and, and sort of planning we share that really kind of strong core of, of why we're doing things and what we believe in um, and so together we form this partnership to be able to really deliver on, particularly on, on social value, I think is the, the key thing in terms of what the industry is needing, I think, because yes. social value often it's it's done in a way where you sort of have these monetized metrics of, of things that the project is doing, but it's not really addressing the needs of the actual people in the actual place and what's being created by the place. So together we're able to offer a sort of more holistic social value offering, looking at both the wider project impacts, but also how that place is being shaped to create value, human value, social value, cultural value as well, all those things. So, And I suppose it works very much to your advantage that you have had architectural training because 
very often and from from what I can see in the projects where they've been doing these things in a very progressive way you work quite closely with design teams and actually help these sort of social impact um, objectives inform the design which I know having worked for many years at an architectural practice that isn't always the, the case uh, where you know the social impact um, aims and, and frameworks that have been well thought about and well considered actually influence the design right from the very outset in terms of you know public and private space and its impact on people's health and well-being how, how important is that and I suppose the second part of that question is if there's a developer listening uh, which we hope there is and I'm told there is what would you say to them to convince them that they should start thinking differently and thinking about these things earlier on in projects for me what's always sort of seemed like the obvious link is that if you're making places that people enjoy being in or spending time in or want to come back to um, that also has a really um, impactful kind of value commercially because you're you're creating places that are more desirable um, that are more attractive and that you know people want to spend time in so I think that's one of the key things I think it's not this kind of social value separate issue it's actually creating a benefit and value kind of holistically across different dimensions it's funny you mentioned developers because <laughs> actually uh speaking to to one um quite, quite a major one actually about bringing in these sorts of um new approaches into quite a major development because i think they see that that long-term value as well so if you're, you're creating that those spaces that are more vibrant and attractive and, and draw people in, there's there's so much that can be brought from that. So I think it's all looking very positive. It's happening a bit faster so, than I was expecting, actually. Well, that's so, good to hear. Yeah, so I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, it's all looking, looking very good after sort of a 10-year bit of uphill sort of struggle in a way. Yes. So. so I suppose one thing I'd like to know is what what is it that first sparked your interest in this? And is it something you think about often like when you're walking around the streets and always have or I mean yes it's something that's kind of always been there um even before I studied architecture I'd I'd walk around and sort of draw things and wonder why things are the way they are and um I suppose as part of my studies I was I looked at things like um social segregation in cities and I spent time out in South America and sort of looking at slums and in the favelas in Brazil um, and as part of my postgraduate studies I spent some time um, doing concepts for a slum settlement in Delhi so that that kind of humanistic or humanitarian aspect was there right from you know my first interest and then I suppose when I got into practice um, there's that bit of a disjunction where you're you're kind of doing projects but it's not really the things that you we're looking at when you were a student <laughs> and yeah. you're like okay well there's so much more we can be doing I suppose you are sort of able to kind of think much more broadly when before you get into practice about the rest of the world and, and and what the big issues are and how you can really could make a difference in countries you know that are developing countries like you know um, uh, Brazil and, and, and India and so on do you think you'll 
be getting into projects internationally in the future? I mean, I would very much like to through the LDN Collective. And what are your thoughts about how to start to have an impact overseas? I think that would be a brilliant thing to do, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think obviously the my home is here in London and I, I love kind of making it better here, but there's so much that can be done across the world in terms of everywhere is urbanizing. We have so many more millions of people living in cities. We need to find ways to make that work well and thinking about all the different challenges that the future is bringing and that are actually here with us right now. But how are we going to deal with a lot of things, whether it's climate, social inequalities, kind of mental health crises, all these different things need looking at. Yes. And yeah, there's this huge populations that are going to need better serving by the built environment. I'm quite interested just to know how you get brought into projects. So, for example, is it something that you might be appointed to work alongside or by an architect or is it always directly by a developer or a project manager? And also, you know, how do people need to think differently about the process of of, of project um, uh, programs and budgets in order to make sure that your contribution is properly factored in? So it can work both ways in terms of how I I get brought in. So it can be via developer or also via the architects or design team. So in a way that doesn't matter so much, but it's more bringing in this sort of specialist advice right at the beginning of the project to be able to sort of look at what the opportunities are from the very start, from the brief or the initial vision to identify actually how can we embed health and well-being and social impact and inclusivity right from the first principles. What I'm offering is doing a different series of reviews and, and audits and sets of principles that can then be embedded into what the design team are doing and doing that in a way that's not too disruptive but to establish that these are some values and principles and strategies that need to inform yes how that gets shaped and then would you then go back at certain points in the project in terms of you know after planning uh, you know pre-construction post-construction or even when a project is um you know occupied is is that something you would you know that you would look to do yeah absolutely so post-planning um could have series of design reviews or being a sort of critical friend to to then see how the principles are being played out in the details to all the way through to kind of occupation and and things that can support that overall experience um, whether that's things like art installations or that this even right down to those small kind of details yeah recently um on one of our master planning projects sibson we had a a really good session which was um uh, led by jazz baller and and he's uh working alongside hannah smart from edge and they are the urban designers that are planning and designing a, a town center for this new settlement which is an absolutely fascinating exercise because you know it's not very often you get to think about starting from scratch with a new town center i mean this is essentially a new town on what is greenfield land it's very different to rethinking or evolving an existing urban center which is uh often uh, uh, uh more often what, what we what we do but I imagine that what you would contribute to a project like that, a master plan like that, is how to think about the more qualitative aspects of 
design you know it's not about sort of how we design necessarily the streets and the types of buildings and or is it i mean t- tell me how, how do you focus on you know urban centers and and what's what what would be the difference between a project you do work on and a project that you don't um i suppose with a new settlement a new master plan like that it's always really important to create a really strong sense of place um and to give it that kind of central heart um a place that really defines what it is and that people are drawn to um places where different types of people can mix whether that's different generations or different ages so what my work primarily would be would be about how to create that narrative of sense of place but also through the design and the streets and the squares and the the way that buildings are kind of set out or shaped layer all those things together to really create that kind of heart space um within it and then there's obviously many many other things that you can do but i think that's always this good starting point yeah like what is this place yes and i suppose you need to be sort of proactively creating places that do encourage connection between people and interaction because often you know if you've got an employment area here and a retail area there and a residential area there the the danger especially now that people are working from home living longer uh, uh, you know with elder, a lot more elderly people in in town centers that people do become uh, isolated or, or disconnected is that something that you try and sort of plan to to to, to prevent the social isolation and loneliness. Yeah, a lot of my work um, has been around tackling loneliness and um, because that's actually been shown to be very bad for your health, which surprises people, but it's been, there's reports to say it's as bad for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day in yeah. terms of the, the sort of impacts from the stress and how that, that creates different conditions on you. Well. Um, so it's, it's really serious. Well, thank you so much, Natasha. That was absolutely brilliant. And uh, it's it's always a pleasure working with you. And, and I think it's re- really even more interesting to hear about, you know, how you got into this particular area of um, expertise in terms of social impact and healthy places. And I feel very sort of optimistic hearing all of that about the future, because I think the more people we have like you who are working in the built environment and actually shaping the places and spaces that as Winston Churchill once said then shape us is uh, incredibly important and uh, so power to your elbow as they say and uh, um, and thank you so much for uh, sharing that with us today. Mm-hmm.